Well, I had an interesting interview with a gentleman by the name of Ernie Sander. Now, he's the vice president at an organization called Pioneering Collective. He works with us and he works with C-suite executives and other leaders to build and amplify their personal brands through content and communications. Now, that can be from written thought leadership, podcasts, to books and speaking appearances. And you know what? He spent about a decade as the editor at the Wall Street Journal. And he's been managing teams of reporters and launching new products. But also, he's spent some time working for digital media startups and some good experience there that he shares with me in the actual interview. Now, the thing here is that Ernie talks about several things. And one of them is around, you know, leading with purpose. It's the title of this actual episode, really. Leading with purpose, crafting your leadership brand story. And we talked about how he can help leaders build their brands. And it's important for them to build their brands. And I asked him a question about being in the media industry, how he has seen transitions over the years and prior to digital and so forth. And he shares his experience there. We also talked about how people can hide in some roles, but they can't really hide in startups. And so that's that's a quite an interesting sort of topic that we talked about there. We talked about brand and telling the story and how that is important as well. But he also shared something else which was pretty interesting to hear about, especially in this disruptive world that we are living in and working in. Focus. And it's resisting the temptation of being distracted. You know what I mean? It's, there's so much noise out there. It's amazing what actually happens. So Eddie and I had a little bit of fun on the actual podcast. And he shared some wonderful and excellent topics or insights. So listeners, sit back and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us today. And I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Ernie Sander. And Ernie, a massive welcome to you. Thanks so much, Dennis, for having me on. I'm a big fan of the show. Thank you. Pleasure to have you here. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm in New York City, right smack in the middle. Smack in the middle. What does smack in the middle mean? So there's like a I don't know how well you know New York or your listeners know New York, but there's an uptown and a downtown and there's boroughs, five different boroughs in the city. I'm in the, right in the center of Manhattan, sort of, or just, just a little bit north of the center of Manhattan. So kind of midtown is where all the work happens or when people used to go to the office, that's where all the work offices are. And I live just a little bit north of that. So kind of a, the, the, a big hub of activity. Yeah, interesting. And when you say they used to go the, to the office, it's, it's really interesting how things have changed. So- and in, in where you are right now in the New York City there, are people going to this office? I mean, how much are, how many are going to the office, in other words, percentage-wise? Or is the city look, sounding, feeling a little bit more of a dead city, if I can put it that way? Yeah, it's a great question, and it changes a little over time. I feel like the city the city life has come back, and it's it's vibrant again, and it's super hard to get restaurant reservations. And you see just people out and about at the parks are full. I mean, it's wintertime now, so it's a little colder, but... Up until then, you saw people coming back out. So people are certainly out and about, 
But I don't think people are coming into the office as much. And I think a lot of people are, you know, at least half the week, some people more than that. There are some industries like banking, for example, in New York, where they really want people in every day. And so there's those, I think, exceptions. They're kind of outliers. All the tech workers, people that I know are, you know, home as much as they're in the office and they have a lot more flexibility. And I think there's just, this is something we can get into in the, in the conversation, but there's a, that's really something for companies to figure out is what is this, what does this look like moving forward? Mm. What are the policies? Do they leave it up to the employees? Are they going to be rigid about what they want? And, and uh, so it's really interesting to see, but a lot of people at home and getting really comfortable being at home. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how the dynamics have gone from, no, you can't work at home. You have to work from work from the office and then gone because of the pandemic the other way around. And now trying to swing back again, but it's not sort of swinging back too well. And some, some organizations are handling it very well and others are struggling. And it's really interesting to see the whole dynamic play out as we see it going going forward. So we'll see what happens there. So any con? No, no, you go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to, I was going to say that's exactly right. Yeah. Perfect summation. Hey, the other thing here, Ernie, is I've given the, the listeners already an introduction to you on the show. Now you've got a vast experience here as a media executive for 20 plus years of experience. Tell us a little more about your background. I grew up in Boston, which is, again, I don't know where your readers are, but not that far from New York. Boston and New York are actually rivals, sort of sports rivals. So I grew up in Boston and then went away to college and spent a couple of years living in Japan, teaching English right after college, and then came back and knew I wanted to be a reporter. So I went to journalism school and then I did what, I'm not sure if this is the track these days, but back in the day, the track was you sort of worked at a bunch of smaller media companies as you tried to work your way up to different kinds of publications. And so I did that and I lived in five or six different cities and, and then I uh, lived in LA and San Diego and Chicago and Washington and, and then moved to Hong Kong and worked for the Wall Street Journal. And I stayed at the Wall Street Journal for 10 years, both in Hong Kong and in New York as an editor, managing reporters and managing sections of the paper and managing coverage areas, helping to launch new sections. And then in 2008, I was interested in getting more experience in digital media. And the journal was one of the early media companies to digital. They had a site and a site that they charged money for, more importantly, in like the 90s. Again, way before other people were thinking about it. This is when people were still thinking digital was just a something that was going to, it was a flash in the pan and it was going to go away. It was a, it was a trend, but not a, not a permanent trend. And so they had a site and a successful site. I really wanted to be, get experience with something that was more natively digital. And so I went and started working at digital media startups and spent the next decade working at digital media startups, kind of in a editorial strategy, content strategy kind of role. So again, managing content and, and teams of content producers across all different kinds of mediums. So text, of course, but video and email newsletters and podcasts and social and all kinds of things like that. A couple of years ago, I joined Pioneer and Collective where I work now. I'm a, I'm a strategist at Pioneer Collective. And so I work with leaders of all kinds, mostly business leaders on their personal brand, personal communications, helping to kind of build the brand, clarify the brand, and then amplify it through all kinds of different communications. So we do a lot of thought leadership articles and help some people write books and launch podcasts. We also do strategic introductions and we do all kinds of coaching for them. So it's a, it's a great job and a great opportunity to meet a lot of really interesting leaders. Oh, wow. What a fascinating background and the things that you do today as well. I just got a quick question here, which is burning since you said it was living in New York and being coming from Boston. 
Do you walk down the road with a baseball cap with a big B on it, or do you have the NY on yours? You know, I, I still have the B on mine, and I don't have a problem with it, but it's interesting. My kids were born in New York, and so they've grown up hearing me talk about Boston sports teams, and I, I don't envy them going to school and, and talking about Boston teams. They're, they're pretty they're pretty bold, I have to say. They're not afraid to tell their friends that they're a Boston fan, but uh, it's I, I've stuck to my guns. I'm a, I'm a Boston fan through and through. Yeah, that's cool. Now, you've seen, based on what you just shared with us about your background, a lot of transition in the media industry going from pre-digital into digital and to things like podcasts and things like that. What was that transition like for you of seeing it over the years of the experience that you've got? How was it? Really interesting, I think. I I just enjoyed being there when things were emerging. I, I think when you see things emerging, unless you're one of these super smart, innovative, ahead of the curve thinkers, and they exist in all different industries, I think most people don't know if six new platforms pop up or six new formats and media pop up. I don't think most people know which ones are going to be there in 10 years and which aren't going to be there in 10 years. And so there's a lot of sort of experimentation in those early years and trying to sort of, I'll call it dabbling, although maybe that's not the right word, but sort of have a finger in in some different things that are going on so that you can you can be there when these things, when one or two or three of them do emerge and are sustainable. But I, it's so interesting to see, you know, I, there was a long period when media, there was very little innovation in media. It was, at least in the US, all each market was controlled by a newspaper to a, a, a couple TV stations, a couple radio stations. And if you wanted to get a story out or get advertising out, you had to go through one of those gatekeepers. And then suddenly, in a really short period of time, probably in, I don't know, five or 10 years, the landscape had absolutely shifted first with blogging and then with, you know, all kinds of different things like social and podcasting. And now it's, it's really, it's almost the inverse of what it was. I mean, of course, there's still top publications where people that are real influence shapers, but the, the landscape is so fractured and there's a lot of people essentially creating their own media. They're not part of any companies, they're influencers and they, and they're creators and they have the ability to bring audiences and, 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 and develop monetization. And so we really, in the 20 years that I've been in the business gone from, I I think flipped completely the model. And of course, one thing that hasn't changed, well, I think in the the 20 years ago, if you were at one of those quasi monopolistic media companies, you did pretty well, I think, because you had a lock on the market. What's happened now is that there's been a real renaissance, a real opening up of the media, and that's great. It's it's really hard to make money. And so that's the the caveat here is that anybody can put their shingle out and be have a have sort of a media business or a platform, but it's it's not really easy for anybody to to make it a going concern. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious that the whole industry has been disrupted, of course, over time. And and it's amazing to see that whole transition happen and, and where it's gone. And and Ernie, I know that you've actually launched your podcast as well, and it's called You Said What? Tell us a little bit more about the podcast. Sure. It's, I'm, 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 a, I'm a real newbie, Dennis, next to you. I know you have a 380 episodes or whatever it is now. I have, I think, 25, so I'm, I'm still I'm a baby. But it's a podcast about, we, I talk to guests about the most important conversations and written interchanges in their lives. And, you know, it's the, it's, it can be with anybody. It can be with a child, with a parent, with a boss, with a coworker, with a significant other, with a stranger. And it's really trying to figure out, trying to talk to people about which of those communications experiences really stuck with people and why. And 
sort of how did they, in some cases, kind of change their worldview about things. And so I, like you, like to interview people and like to learn. And so it's a great excuse for me to meet people from different walks of life. I've had ex-NFL football players on, Broadway actors, founders and CEOs, private investigators, all different kinds of folks. And it's just, it's been interesting for me to A, hear their stories, but B, also kind of think more about what kinds of conversations do stick with us. And it's not always the most obvious things. It's not always, you know, sometimes you know you're going to have a profound conversation with somebody. And of course, it ends up being meaningful and profound. And then other times, there's moments where you don't necessarily think anything's going to happen and suddenly something happens and stays with you for years. And so I find that really interesting. There's there's, there's depth. What I found is there's there can be a lot of depth in sort of small communications moments and you don't always know it's going to happen. Mm. Yeah, wow. It's, those, it's almost like those turning points in life, right? There's those things that happen and they do stay with you for a long, long time, but they also can be life-changing situations or moments or words or whatever that is. And it's amazing where, where things go that we weren't expecting it. And hmm, let's see what's yeah, going to happen for us. That's completely right. Yeah. And I love those, you know, those, there's that concept of the, what's the, it's the, um, there's the movie called sliding doors or whatever, where you like, yeah. you know, you decide to get it, you get in one, get in one subway car instead of getting another subway car. Cause you got in that subway car, you met certain people, you had a conversation and that ended up changing what you did. And so I love that concept of like things that happen when they happen and how they shape what you do. And and, you know, you never know what they're going to be, but they're, they're sort of these tracks that you're quietly laying down. It's so interesting. Totally. And listeners, if you have not already checked out that movie, Sliding Doors, it's really, really cool to go and watch. Get it out or say get it out. Not, I don't think there's video stores anymore or things like that, but see if you can find it and have a look at it because it's a fascinating movie, but it also has some really, really strong messaging in there as well. And so, yeah, definitely one for you to look out for. Ernie, um... Let's ask a question here, and I want to come back to something about branding a little bit later on that you mentioned, but as we could probably talk about this as we go through some of these questions, and that is, how how did you get into leadership yourself? You know, sort of just, I think when I worked at the Wall Street Journal and then I left and I was starting to work at digital media startups, it was sort of a brand new world and there was opportunities to be, to get in on the kind of early days of things and to be sort of a little bit of a leader on day one, just because I'd had this experience at media companies and at the journal and feel like I got really good training there. And I think for people looking to build content operations, they were looking for people with experience at established places that sort of knew how, how to build systems and how to create content that people mm-hmm. need to consume. And so, so I had that advantage. And so I was able to be in at, at, at these startups, at these small companies in some leadership positions quickly. And I became really interested in, you know, it is like bigger companies, they do have these systems and these processes and this and this history and when you get hired at these businesses you're slotted into that and of course some of those things evolve over time and leaders reshape those and that's what great leaders do but startups are so fascinating because like it's a blank slate there is none of that and so you end up putting your own stamp on that culture or that growth trajectory or the lack of it and it's it's really fascinating you really quickly can see your imprint again, or the lack of your imprint and what you're not doing, it's all kind of like in in high relief. Whereas at a big company, you know, you're sort of because there's so many people often, if some one person, if one person isn't doing what they need to be doing or isn't a great leader, the the overall enterprise doesn't necessarily suffer. But it's I found it fascinating at smaller places that how that's not the case. And so I became really fascinated by with startup founders, particularly like who'd 
how, how do they make impact? What kinds of leaders are there? That sort of thing. So it was a, it was a neat time. Yeah, it's really interesting how you talk about that. It's more or less what I'm taking from what you, you shared there is that in large corporates, large organizations, people can tend to hide, if I can put it that way, or it's probably not as, as strong in, in, when things are being done. But in a startup or a small organization, it's different. I went from a large organization like EDS, which is a large outsourcing company run by or owned by Ross Perot many years ago, working with them here in New Zealand. And I went to Greece to live for five years where my dad's from. And I worked with an organization whereby, you know, we were two and a half thousand people in New Zealand in EDS and probably a hundred and something thousand around the world to an organization where there was 30. And mm. the difference in seeing what leaders did in that large organization versus the smaller organization was deafening, if I could put it that way, was huge. It was amazing to see. But I also think it actually affects people's brands. And so you mentioned earlier on about how you help people with their brands. How important is it for leaders to understand, for our listeners who are listening to this episode, for them to understand about branding and about building their brand as a leader? How important is it? That's such a good question. You know, I think we work with a lot of leaders that are tremendously successful. They have positions really high up in organizations. A lot of times that they're in the C-suite, really distinguished careers, lots of accomplishments. And so, of course, they're known inside their companies and they're known inside their sectors, but they'll look around and they'll see that some of their peers are have brands that kind of transcend that and so they're writing they're writing about their their ex, they're writing pieces about their expertise or they're speaking about their pursuit their their passion or their purpose or they're getting on boards and or they have an active social presence social media presence and they'll say like what am i doing wrong why why did why does this person have that kind of profile and i have even though i basically have the same accomplishments i have a lesser profile kind of outwardly and I think most people just get really busy being successful, doing their jobs and rising up through the ranks. And it's and so they don't have the time to sit there, kind of figure out, A, what their brand actually is. Other, what is their secret sauce? What's their special gift beyond all the accomplishments? What do they do better than other people? And then also kind of intentionally kind of shaping a brand around that. And it, it's not something that you can really do overnight, but it's really rewarding when you do do it and when you can actually build that profile. So I think it's hugely important and it's, and it's hard to do. A lot of people either don't quite get the importance of it or know that it's important, but just aren't able to make the time for it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get confused by it too, in the sense that they think that the title is a really important thing. That I, I think for me, and I'm, you tell me if I'm, my thinking's right here, for me, it's more about you telling the story. It's you telling the story yeah. about your background and your journey and where you're going, but also what value you can offer to others as well. That's 100% right. Yeah, I think I agree with that completely. I think that's true. That's the opportunity. And you see it on people's LinkedIn's where their, their LinkedIn's are kind of really just, and again, this, this is so easy to have happen just because people get busy and the LinkedIn's are just kind of a listing of the stops along the way of the companies they've worked at, of the job titles they've had, little bit of detail sometimes about some of the accomplishments. But it doesn't, if you look at it, you don't really come away with a strong sense of the person. And I think in the world that we live in now, as you said earlier, I think leaders really want to be authentic. They really want to have values that, 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 that they carry with them that people can understand and connect with, whether it's customers or employees or partners. And I think the LinkedIn is just one example of a place where you often don't, you don't really see those connection points when you read through people's LinkedIn. You just see sort of a listing of things that have happened. And it's, it, and again, it's, it, it, it's not, 
it's an exercise that takes a little bit of time of it, for anybody in their life of saying, okay, for 20, 30, 40 years or whatever, I've done all this stuff. So if I had to pull, extract things out of that that were really important and that, are, that really defined who I am, and I had to do it in a paragraph or a sentence or a word, or what would those things be? And so it, it's a bit of a process that I think people don't naturally embark upon. And it's, it's tough in the sense of having to make choices that you know, aren't easy. And so, but I think that what happens when you do that is that you end up kind of elevating certain things about your background or who you are and sort of pushing down other things so that the things that you've elevated kind of stand out more. And people who are looking at, for example, your LinkedIn or a piece of thought leadership that you've written before they meet with you or before they decide to join your company, they can really get a feel for what you're all about. And it instantly creates something to talk about, something to share, something to discuss. So I, I think I think it's really important. I mean, with LinkedIn, does it, is it really important to be active in LinkedIn? I mean, people say to me, I don't really have an, act, an active LinkedIn profile and I don't know, I'm not active on it. Is it important for them to be active or, or not? I think it is important, but active doesn't mean you're doing something three times a week. Or, you know, I think a lot of people, first of all, just to clarify, when I was talking earlier about LinkedIn, I'm really just talking about the profile on LinkedIn, not creating sure. content, but just, you know, what you say in your about section, for example, how do you characterize yourself? But in terms of creating content, I do think it's where a lot of the world lives right now. And particularly with what's happening with Twitter, you know, you see this migration over even greater migration over to LinkedIn. And so I think LinkedIn, if there's a venue where there's a lot of people, a captive audience for things that you want to say about yourself or things that you or insights that you have about your industry or the future of your business, that's the place to do it probably now. I mean, there's other opportunities, there's other options, of course, but I think LinkedIn is sort of the obvious place to be. And so I don't think it's important to do stuff every day or three times a week, but I do think it's, I think one might set a goal for oneself, for example, of doing a post a month and over the course of the month, sort of making some notes about something you read, a person you met, an experience you had that got you thinking, that impacted you in some way. These posts don't have to be usually most leaders and executives have access to someone who can be an editor and a sounding board for them. So if they don't feel so great writing posts or they're unsure about how to start and end them, usually most people can find a sparring partner or somebody, again, who can help them sort of shape it. I think the key is to like have the intention of wanting to do, you know, three, 400, 500 words once a month about something that stood out for you as a, again, as a person, as a leader, as an executive and share that. I think it's just, I think these things become like, as I said, really kind of windows onto people and and, mm. and important for people who are going to come into contact with that person. Yeah, totally. And I think that it's really important for leaders to have a voice and that voice to yeah. be heard. And I think LinkedIn is a great platform as one of the platforms of many that's out there for us to actually have our voices heard, our opinions, thought, you know, people letting people know where we are with things, which is really important. Now, Ernie, I've got a question here for you, and that is, this person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? You know, this is such a good question. It's hard to pick a single favorite leader. And I'm sure that I could come up with, you know, five or 10 that at least that I think I really admire. You know, one person that I was thinking about when you sent the question over was Tony Shea from Zappos, the, the founder of Zappos. And, you know, he was an interesting, complicated person, you know, who had his own demons for sure. But he was somebody that was really interested in finding ways to make life better for people and ultimately about creating happiness and, you know, wasn't able to quite create happiness for himself, but created happiness and joy for lots of employees and startups and obviously customers. And 
you know, it's funny. I think of like, I, I buy a lot of stuff on Zappos or whenever I buy shoes, I buy them on Zappos. And I'm just always amazed by that experience that you go through there where the customer service people spend, you know, endless amounts of time with you. You never feel like you never get a bad one. You never feel like they're trying to rush you off the phone. And I think of that as kind of the gold standard. And I think of them as like the beginning of the of that gold standard that now all these online companies kind of aspire to in terms of customer service, where the customer is never wrong. They'll do anything to keep the customer happy. And I sort of feel like, you know, when you read about him and I never met him, but when you read about him, by all accounts, he was a kind of person that that lived his life that way with people around him, was always trying to kind of enable people in good ways. He he invested in a lot of stuff that was never going to make money necessarily, and he knew it wasn't going to make money, but just just because he thought it was going to increase people's quality of life, whether it was a bar or a band or a festival or things like that. And I just think that, um, you know, we live in a time now with the kind of pandemic, post-pandemic period where companies are talking a lot about culture and engagement and sort of are people happy where they're working and how much are companies going to bend over backward to kind of make them happy. And I think that the Zappos example, you know, is a really good example of, I don't know whether it's practical for every company to do these kinds of things, but it's a great example of a company that really did bend over backward and the kinds of impact that it had on people's lives, all kinds of people's lives. And you saw those testimonials all pour out when, when he died. But I think he's really an interesting leader. Mm, mm. Look, if you had an opportunity to sit down on a park bench, I don't know, he's passed away and, and you said you never met him before, but I think if you were able to sit down with the, with the person and sit down and have a coffee with him, what would, you, what would be one question you would like to ask him? I'd be really interested to find out, you know, obviously Zappos was a big success story as a business. Forget about what I've been talking about, about ways and customers, but I'd love to know, I'd love to hear him talk about whether happiness and business success are kind of oxymoronic. Like, can you have both of those things? Because I think that's what companies are trying to figure out these days. It's like, can you, can you make your employees happy? Can you accommodate them if they want to stay at home and work at home five days a week? Can you do that and still have a really successful business? I think we learned in the pandemic that you can do a lot more that you thought you could do as a business with people working remotely. But I think it's an interesting question. I, I don't remotely believe it's a simple question, but I think he would have interesting insights on that. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It's actually an interesting one. You know, happiness and business success, can we have both? Hmm, interesting. Now, the question I've got here for you now is the show is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title or that statement, what does it mean for you? It, it's, it, I love the title because it's like you, it's like a Warsaw test. You can read lots of different things into it. I mean, for me, it means that leaders are people that are agile and that you can adapt to internal, external factors, even get ahead of those things. And so you're not caught flat-footed. The best people are able to anticipate those things even before other people are trying to talk about them. But even, even if you can't do that, being able to know when you have to even if you're built a certain way, your company's built a certain way, when you have to make shifts in order to mm. change, to fit the way that the world is working or the way that the way society's working. That's what that means to me. Excellent. Excellent. Now, you and I are living in a world that's very fast. It's changing all the time. It's getting faster. Technology, data, business, social, all of that aspect, all those different areas are getting a lot faster for all of us. What makes or what can help a leader be successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? I think the first thing is focus. And I think it's, you just said it, you listed all these things that, that, that are in our world. And there's a lot of competing priorities and there's, a, and there's a lot of fast change. I just think about it in the media business where if you say, I want to be active on social media, for example, well, there's six or seven different platforms. And so 
some people say, I want to be on all these platforms. Usually not people who have busy executive careers, but a lot of people say, okay, I want to be on YouTube. I want to be on LinkedIn. I want to be on Twitter. I want to be on Facebook. And the reality is you kind of can't be on all those things and be successful. They're all a little different. They all require time. And so I think, so I, you have to pick your spots and you have to say, I care more about A than I do about B. And I'm going to really figure out A and I'm going to be good at A. And I think, I think, so I think focus is really important. There's a lot of every day. I feel like there's more room for distraction. And so resisting that temptation to get distracted, I think is really important. And then I would say second to that, I would just come back to I, what I was saying a second ago, which is sort of agility, you know, it's the ability to change, but it's also, you don't want to be so fickle that you're changing all the time. And so it's that like knowing when to be consistent, what to keep and what to shift. And I think that's really hard is that, that, that agility, that's that mix of, again, what, what, what the constants are and what the, what the changes are, I think is a really interesting and tricky balance to strike. That sure is. And I, and I'll tell you, I think, you know, listeners, what I just heard there was the fact that focus is really important. Resisting the temptation of being distracted. It's amazing how distracted we can be, how much noise there is actually out there. And it's really important for us to focus on where we're going, what we're wanting to do. Now, Ernie, we've been talking about leadership and, and being a leader and so forth. If we were to change gears or to change lens and think about it now from an employee's perspective, what are you seeing out there? How has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about the work situation and kind of in this pandemic period of where, what kinds of flexibility do companies allow employees? And I think, I think it's, that's kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of this sort of millennials and, and, you know, and, and, and Gen Z. And, and I think a couple of things that I think are interesting. One is that I do think they want to have a greater feel for the uh, leaders and the companies that they work for, they're not just, they don't just join a company because it's successful or because they can make money. I think they, there, there does have to be a little more value alignment. I think there does sometimes have to be, they care more about, um, when they're going to work, how they're going to work, why they're going to work. They kind of ask more questions. And so I think, I think that puts the onus on companies and on leaders to kind of figure out how they're going to address that. Are they going to, are they going to meet them halfway? Are they going to meet them all the way? Are they not going to meet them? at all and, and sort of, and then, you know, how are they going to, how, what's the, what are the attributes and the values of those companies going to be? What's the personality of the company going to be that, that, and how's it going to connect with the next generation of employees? I mean, I think a lot of companies have done mission statements and value statements. And I think, you know, I think most of them that I've seen over, you know, in the past are, are kind of pulled from a stock of important sounding words and, and, and sounding words. And I, I'm not sure that they're always completely connected to the way that the, those companies live their lives. And I think that the next generations are going to expect companies to kind of be who they say they're going to be and to have a real, have a real defined personality. So I, I think that's one thing that employees are expecting of leaders is, is that, that kind of better capture of, of who those companies and leaders are. I think the other thing that's, I'll just say that's interesting, the other challenge is that, and I don't know if this is happening in the rest of the world, but in the U.S., there's a lot of pressure on political leaders, sorry, on, on corporate leaders to kind of weigh in on political and social sort of hot button issues. And there's a lot of them these days. There's a lot of partisanship. And so things happen in the news and companies get asked, CEOs get asked all the time, well, what do you think? What does your company think? And I think that's a, 
that's an interesting space too. I think a lot of employees expect their companies to 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 speak up on on certain things, and I don't necessarily think it's the right thing for companies to speak up on all matters. I think because there's so much partisanship, you know, there's a, there's a good chance that if you speak up on one of these really fiery issues, you know, you're going to satisfy 49% of your or 50% of your employees and and disappoint the other 50%. I mean, that's sort of where we are as a country. And so I think you have to pick your spots kind of carefully and you have to have a strategy for what you want to talk about and what you what you don't think you have value to add to. But it's really tricky. There's a lot of, as I said, I think expectations on the part of people who work at companies that their leaders are going to are going to amplify what they think, that they're going to say what's on their minds and they're going to kind of, there's going to be some connect there between the two. So, so it's tricky. Yeah. I think it is very tricky and having to navigate those waters for a CEO or a leadership team for an organization is difficult for sure. Now, question I've got here for you, if I was to get you, I need to get your crystal ball out here now, think about the future. Where do you see leadership being in five years? I think a couple of things. I mean, one, just to build on this point that we've been talking about, I think there's, you know, you hear a lot, used to hear a lot, I guess you still do about automation and technology and how it's taking jobs away. And I, I think that's totally real. And so there was this fear about, are people going to be able to find jobs? And then during the pandemic and with the economy now, at least in the US, you know, there's this real competition for labor, for talent. And, and, and you see the other side of that, which is when people have a choice, you know, where do they go and what decisions do they make? And so I think one future of leadership is going to be this competition for talent and how do companies sort of win over employees. It's a little bit what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, but it's this broader it's broader thing of like, you can't just go to the usual recruiting fairs and go to the same colleges that you've gone to to recruit people. I think you need to be more creative and you need to be more intentional about what you want to say and, and what who you're talking to and all that. So I think that's one thing I think is this competition for talent is going to really require strong leadership. You know, and I think obviously the diversity conversation is part of this too. When I say diversity, I don't mean, you know, just gender or, or the color of someone's skin, as important as those are, but I'm talking about diversity of all kinds. And I think, you know, we're moving into a world where we're paying, as we should be, a lot more attention to that. And I think companies that are able to think about diversity really holistically, you know, people's experiences, where people live, all kinds of different differences of people and companies that are able to think about bringing that together in a way that really makes the culture richer and makes them more innovative and imaginative and all that. Like, I mean, you see some companies that can really do that. I think that's a real leadership challenge too, is not just treating diversity sort of like a checkbox, mm. but creating it, treating it like an opportunity to get access to minds and, and ideas that they haven't been getting access to. Because like, like lots of us, you've been locked into our lanes of, we do things the way we do things and life is changing. And the question is, can leaders kind of navigate like proactively and successfully that new world to be differentiated. I think, you know, what you said before as well about early on in relation to people in you know, the words and not being aligned with the organization or with the actions that people are taking. Then if you think about the actual competition for talent, attracting them, and then once again about the diversity side of things, and it's not being a checkbox thing. I think it's really what we're saying here is what we think and what we say as an organization, as a leadership team, we have to back that up with the actions and showing people things. Because if we don't, then we're going to lose the talent we've got and we're not going to attract new talent to the organization and very important things for us to do. And it's not just 
words and we're playing lip service to it, it has to be followed by action as well. Exactly. I think that's that's well said. Mm. Ernie, hey, look, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I could actually be here for hours talking to you, actually. I think it's it's been really enjoyable here. Ernie, if, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? I work at Pioneer and Collective, so you can reach me. There's an email address there at esander, S-A-N-D-E-R, at pioneeringcollective.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. I think those are probably the two best places to get me, and I'd love to hear from you either about what we talked about on this show, which was fantastic, or just anything about content or communications or branding, or I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Ernie, once again, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Dennis. There you go, listeners. If you're wanting to, can happiness and business success go together? Can you have both? Hmm, it's a really, really good question. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 